the possibilities just within the world of of herbal treatments are are vast and they've been pretty much shoved to the side and ignored in recent years and just the last couple of centuries i'm just saying this past century alone where pharmaceutical industry has taken a stronghold on on what is considered to be pretty much the mainstream form of treatment and many of these treatments haven't even been affected when it comes to like depression, anxiety, so on and so forth. And this is, this is, we're talking recent studies that have come out like 2022, 2021, that like different anti-anxiolytics are pretty much as effective as taking a walk around the beach or on the, uh, around the block. Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms. From inside the mind to the far reaches of the universe, this is Neurons to Nirvana. My guest on this week's episode is Asher Laub. As an independent artist, Asher has found ways to monetize his music career by pushing conventional boundaries in composition and implementing creative strategies that inspire fans to keep consuming his unique music. He's an electric violinist, producer, composer, and performer. I know you will be inspired by how Asher was able to overcome nearly losing his career in music to adrenal insufficiency and now is well known for his acrobatic choreography across stages with his LED electric violin during his live performances. You can find Asher's content on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with over 100,000 engaged fans, and he's amassed over a million views on his YouTube channel. In this episode, you will hear two of his original singles. The first is Neon Dreams, which is high-energy progressive house music merged with contemporary classical music. The second is High Octane and his latest single called Atlantis, which will be played at the end of the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to know Asher Laub. First of all, your musical career is quite impressive. And also some of the trials and tribulations that we'll get into uh, that you've overcome. I think it's an ins- that aspect of your life is inspiring as well. Thanks so much. So let's uh, let me give you a softball. Uh, tell me, I read you started playing the violin at two. Is that right? Yeah, at the age of two. Not on an, on an actual violin on a, on a uh, margarine box um, with you know a kind of fake strings, which were rubber bands essentially. And I was just kind of learning how to do the fingering uh, with the Suzuki methods teacher, and uh, and then I moved to an actual violin like when I was three. And kind of moved up as I grew from instrument to instrument until I got to a full size by about high school or so. So it's been quite a long journey. Yeah, but uh, that's still quite impressive. Three. And then I also read that you performed with the Buffalo Philharmonic at 13. Is that right? Yeah, it's funny. I remember like it was yesterday. Well, mom started everybody on, on these instruments and she obviously had a passion for music and loved the Beatles growing up. She played ukulele, and uh, my dad played uh, played violin around the campfire in upstate when we, you know, on paleontological excavations. 
So those were some some nice memories. He was more like a fiddler. Okay, so uh, if you don't mind enlightening me, obviously you play the violin now electric. How much different is a fiddle for somebody who doesn't have much experience or somebody listening? How different is a fiddle and a violin? I, I guess they're they're essentially the same instrument, but yep. although when when I'm shopping around for an instrument for like a classical violin versus a fiddle, the fiddle tends to have a more mid-range, sweeter, warmer type of tone from my experience. I don't know if by definition there is so much of a difference, but that's just been my own experience. And classical tends to be, as they joke, like shriller you know, more trebly, yes. which I guess works better for concert halls. Tell me when you're 20 or how old, what were you doing before you started, picked up the violin again? Oh, so it's been a pretty circuitous route. Uh, I, okay, so I, I'm in like a senior in high school and I was thinking, okay, I'm moving to New York for college to get my bachelor's and I'm um, really excited. I, you know, I couldn't get the uh, Frank Sinatra's New York, New York song out of my head. And I was just thinking, I'm going to place, I want to play some cool venues when I'm there and, you know, pay my way through college. So I, I sent in some demos to some orchestras in New York and they pretty quickly hopped on that wagon and they were interested in bringing me on. And I just started, you know, I, I sat in on a couple of gigs and then I, then they started hiring me because uh, I was in demand and I was building a unique niche that there weren't, there were very few musicians who, first of all, knew the repertoire and then add that on with, we're able to improvise in the moment as violinists. Uh, most of these extremely talented, and then there are many talented violinists out there, especially New York, who, you know, sight read fluently, they're great in the studio, but they're not necessarily great live. So uh, I think that's probably why it was a little bit, it was somewhat of a shoe in for me. But to answer your question, I'm in school and then I'm on, on weekends, I'm doing gigs. And then I uh, graduated. And at that point, I had done quite a few by senior year of undergrad. I took a year off to do some more gigs for my orchestra, doing doing stuff for like Casimir Capital at the Waldorf and just a bunch of pretty pretty cool events, corporate events, weddings. And then I I was just I was just thinking like you know I I do want to kind of have a stable day type of job uh, since I don't know too many people are doing this and end up in ideal situations. So I was just coming from like this. PhD type background. My dad's a PhD. My all my family members were like doctors and stuff, so pretty intellectual. And uh, so I went off, got my master's uh, with the intention of just uh, you know teaching, and then on the side doing music. And it was it was pretty it was pretty intensive being a teacher in the in the DOE. Um, and I wasn't actually able to gig a whole lot, which was again kind of the hope. So I kind of quit that after four years and and I and I thought I okay maybe with nursing it would work and actually there's a whole other reason why I went into nursing I was for my my own health issues but all the while I was doing music once I was actually in, in nursing school uh, my health ironically got so bad that uh, I had to drop music altogether for I don't know a couple of years I think so yeah as I mentioned it was pretty circuitous okay absolutely well if you don't mind Will you tell the audience what happened in 2014 concerning your health? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm, I'm an open book. I just don't want to bore any repeat listeners because I do have a lot of fans that kind of... It's okay. But but in a nutshell, uh, I ended up in a wheelchair due to adrenal insufficiency, and that came maybe five years after being diagnosed with uh, an inflammatory uh, disorder. And I guess that was sort of like the, I don't know if the word is harbinger, but sort of led its way up to adrenal insufficiency. And then, and then I got out of that 
Um, that's a real long story. I was supposed to be permanently stuck, you know, on Cortep, but but I got out of there. And when I got out, I hit the ground running and and sort of had a change of mindset and outlook on my general career and personal life and my pursuit of uh, what I'm going to call joy. Good. You know, when you realize that life isn't forever and and things can be pretty short and it's like a little morbid what I'm saying and we're we're both kind of young and we're talking about this already but I guess having family members who have passed it sort of helps you change perspective and it's probably better to change perspective earlier rather than later so you don't you're not upset at yourself when you're when you're in your 70s 80s why not do what makes you happy the bottom line is you surround yourself with people who you love and love you for who you are and are supportive of what you're doing. And fortunately, I have that. I'm always entertained by like big social media influencers that constantly bring up like in their stories or just like subtle posts about how mom or dad or sibling or friends said at some point when they're younger, like you're never going to accomplish anything or what are you going to achieve when you're older? And there they are like making millions as independent influencers. Careers are are unpredictable even at this point. Like I I don't even want to tell my son Okay, you gotta be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, whatever, accountant, just just whatever it is, whatever it is that you love, you're passionate about, you're really good at, and it should pay the bills. So you're not, you know, you don't want to be homeless. That that should be enough for me. And I think that that's probably a healthier perspective to take because, first of all, it's not going to create an unnecessary rift between me and him and me and my daughter. And secondly, it, it'll you know open up opportunities for him that otherwise he doesn't need my voice holding him back from something that he's passionate about. That's not why I get up every day and work on content and reach out to speak to people like yourself and and provide inspiring and interesting stories for my audience. I want to help people. And we've been through some tough years recently and people need some hope and, and laughter and joy and inspiration. So... If I can do my little part, even if it's a small fraction of the population, I consider that a win, man. Well, that's awesome. I guess it doesn't take much for you to be happy. Well, I wish, I mean, in a lot of my other, so I'm a huge mental health advocate and I've suffered, had ADHD or been diagnosed since I was young. So I've had that and battles of depression and anxiety and a little bit of PTSD to the point where I have been so proactive but to the dismay of friends and family because talk therapy was only doing so much and the antidepressants weren't working that I went down to South America and did ayahuasca. And that healed you? Not entirely because I've since then had, well, my mom died last year. I've had grief and sorrow, not to mention the therapist that I was seeing after my mom died he passed away the same age as me four months ago at 41. And then one of my oldest best friends passed away three weeks later, the exact same age at 41. So weird stuff was going on. And in fact, I ended up going to the Yucatan to partake in uh, another ayahuasca ceremony along with legally taking magic mushrooms or psilocybin with a shaman. So this is actually really fascinating to me. Psilocybin, I have a lot to say about this, first of all. I'm trying to think where to start because I have literally like, I could we could expand this to like a three-hour conversation. It's first of all fascinating what you're saying. Second of all, it's not magical, it's herbal. 
And and we we say it's magical, and we're worried that people. I say that it's somewhat in a tongue in cheek. So basically, it it does have. It, there are it's proven. There's studies that it is helping people address depression and anxiety to the point that starting January first in Oregon, it's legal, and you can go and have therapeutic sessions with a therapist in Oregon starting next year, beginning of next year. So, so I, I want to tell you, it's it's fascinating to me and actually makes me really happy that they've legalized this stuff in Oregon because, I mean, I don't know how many, how many pharmaceutical investors are listening. I guess I should be careful about what I say, but... Um, no, who gives a shit? <laughs> well, I, I mean, they could be even some of my fans. I actually, I, I and listeners, I have a lot of listeners who are in, in, in the medical fields, but the possibilities just within the world of, of herbal treatments are, are vast. And they've been pretty much shoved to the side and ignored uh, in recent years and just the last couple of centuries. I'm just saying this past century alone, where pharmaceutical industry has taken a stronghold on, on what is considered to be pretty much the mainstream form of treatment. And many of these treatments haven't even been affected when it comes to like depression, anxiety, so on and so forth. And this, this we're talking recent studies that have come out like 2022, 2021, that like different anti-anxiolytics are pretty much as effective as taking a walk around the beach or on the, uh, around the block. And it's it's particularly upsetting to, to hear, to read these NIH-funded articles, NIH articles, yep. like legit research articles that have pretty much are indicating that many of these medications have actually misled people and have prevented them from from achieving mental like a better state of mental health since i was 16 i've been on and off antidepressants another reason hence why i was willing to go to the amazon to try ayahuasca i don't blame you one bit because if if you're being told this is the only form of treatment and then, and then you hear that there are some other options out there. I would, I would get out of the country too to to try other stuff, because it's like, what are you going to do? Like, continue to live your life unhappy, like, no. just because you're being told that this is the only form of treatment. I don't blame you one bit. And and I'm actually hats off to you for 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 taking some small risks <laughs> to to achieve a state of happiness. Yeah, man. So if you're bored, I would love for you to listen to. Some- I would say a third of my episodes are about plant medicine and talking about cannabis, uh, psilocybin, ayahuasca. On the topic of psilocybin, yes, I- I'm going to try to shorten my my monologues because, like I mentioned, I have a lot to say about this. But it, I find it fascinating that, like, again, the, these psilocybin I think is being now mainstreamed into big pharma. But I believe they're manufacturing synthetic versions of it so that you kind of have to keep taking it. But it's something that's been around these magic mushrooms for centuries, as I understand it, and have actually been extremely effective even throughout throughout evolution. Since the beginning of time. So when we were, before we became Homo sapiens, they think that we evolved because we were having struggling. Yes. Hunter and gatherers, and we were eating literally mushrooms and other things. Yeah, and that's how drawings were on caves, and we started to learn how to communicate and express ourselves. It, it, it's incredible. When I read that, um, and I, and 
I don't know how you learned it, but I learned it because I was looking into venture capitalist like type documents and kind of interested in I'm interested in, in startups and those types of things. But th- this is what I learned, you know, in the context of, hey, you know, come invest with this company. And I was just it just made me think like, but why was this being criminalized? As a musician, I try to be apolitical, but it's hard to ignore just the the player. Look, I, I'm not going to blame this exclusively on the government. We, you can also blame this on private on the private sector that's in cahoots with the government. It's they're both of their fault. But the fact that we have multiple generations that have been thrown in jail, lives ruined, children being brought up, and I I've been teaching in the uh, the South Bronx for for yeah, years. It's, so you you're exposed to real life like consequences. You're seeing it firsthand. I just have had three episodes where I passionately talk about this. There is no reason why you have people still in jail for personal possession of marijuana. It, it pure profit jails. I know that. So that's yeah. I mean, we can we're so I, let's just let's stick I, with the. I'm positive. fuming. I'm fuming right now. Every time this topic's brought up, it just makes me think like we're paying tax dollars to fix the lives of these literally these victims, these these kids and these parents who've been victimized by a, t- a system that has just pretty much set them up to fail. It's because like, of money, incarcerate like prisons make a shit ton of money, particularly. in States like Mississippi and take your pit, man. Oh, it's people, everywhere. I know, but I like it's just so myopic. And, and here's and, my and where's the news been in all this? Like, where, where's, where's, where have on the right and the left? They're both responsible. They, they never did they ever report on this stuff? Well, dude, okay, so we're here's I'm you probably read about this MDMA. It is in the third phase, the last phase before it becomes legal as a therapeutic drug. And I know you have fans and listeners from all walks of life, but it is a fact that people who are dealing with severe trauma or have had to suppress or run away from it in the right therapeutic setting and in controlled environments somewhere safe, it helps. There's an amazing documentary series on, you know, Michael Pollan is. If you don't, look him up. He's got a Netflix four-part series addressing all of these. So mescaline. I'm actually going to, I'm actually taking notes here because this is fascinating. Um, you mentioned a bunch of stuff. You mentioned, yeah, psilocybin, which actually I knew about. Um, but I don't know how many listeners know about psilocybin. Most of my listeners, I, I talk about this all the time. It's one of my main mental health. And look, listen, it is not for everybody. And I've said this several times. And I'll say it to you just so you're aware. I'm not trying to sell you. I just want people to have the options. I, 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 want, I want people to not be thrown in jail for taking things that are becoming yeah. now mainstream and acceptable so that they can prescribe it. And I understand that. You know, when you have high, when you have isolated um, dosages of anything, it could be dangerous and it could lead to like dropping blood pressure, heart, heart conditions, so on and so forth. So that type of stuff needs to be monitored. But yes, but that's why it should be legal so that they can so they can properly monitor it. Yeah, in a therapeutic setting with a yeah. doctor. Yeah, I mean the whole thing's really sad. Well, it is, but at the same time, we are literally in the midst in the 
of a psychedelic renaissance. Yeah, it's it's interesting, but I I don't know. I wouldn't even I wouldn't call it a renaissance because I I, I think it's going to be I think it's an opportunistic type of quote unquote renaissance where it, the the benefits that maybe our ancestors re- received from psilocybin, you know, is not being monetized by a select few and term being turned into a synthetic cheaper more dangerous version with side effects. That that's something I'm highly skeptical of. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you, and I don't necessarily disagree with that at all. I'm very skeptical about pharma coming in and just taking this thing off the rails. A lot of people in the forefront of this movement, and I'm with them a large portion of the way and beliefs, is let's forget about making it completely legal. Let's just decriminalize it. Yeah. Be- because if you decriminalize it, you can grow it from the ground and you don't have to fucking go to jail over it. Yeah, yeah. So, so that so that their kids have to grow up uh, on the street or or in broken well, homes. You're, you're stupid, man. Yeah, because we because because we taxpayers end up picking up the pieces. Just to be clear, guys, any listeners, we are not advocating that you go off and take psilocybin. We are talking about something very different right now. Well, no, no. What we're I'm talking saying. about a system that is broken. That's what we're talking about. That is exactly right. That You're not exactly. advocating drugs and saying, go off, take whatever you want. Clearly, the system that's been in play up until now has not been working. If you just look at the statistics and then then again, you look at the, the mental health crisis that continues to rise. But if they didn't feel the need, if they weren't in a mental health crisis like we are in this country, they wouldn't have that need. And if their their needs were being addressed appropriately, we wouldn't have people you know, getting smashed on weekends and then coming back, not remembering what they did on Saturday and Sunday. Or or drinking and driving and running into a tree and killing themselves and someone else or taking drugs and ODing or, and all kinds of things that not necessarily they're intending to do, but it's reckless behavior because they are struggling with depression. Like I, I worry about my son. I worry about his peers uh, just making stupid decisions and, and having that rub off on him. And uh, my kind of my, my first and foremost focus is, is on being just is his health, mental health. And I want to make sure that he grows up, that he doesn't have to deal with depression. And I don't feel like we live in a society that properly supports just just healthy lifestyle, healthy eating, healthy, just everything. No. And, and there's a reason why, and it's not being properly investigated why there's a mental health rise uh like first of all globally but especially in this country it's an epidemic man yeah and and maybe that's like you know okay here now now people are going to come in and all these big big uh investors are going to come in and they're going to make a ton of money off psilocybin because it's gonna you know keep keep the the murderers from from just shooting up uh schools and and other terrible things that are happening in this country i just it's very reactive. Why are we like, why is all of a sudden psilocybin now coming? Like it's like we, it's now being legalized or it's now becoming like a mainstream thing because the mental health crisis is so terrible. Like why don't we take preventative measures in this country? Because the, a lot of here, and I can speak, you know, I've been transparent from the get go launching this podcast. None of this stuff, including psilocybin, ayahuasca, cannabis, they're not cure-alls. Right. But they do help. Yeah. They do 
Yeah, and and at at bare minimum, that people shouldn't be losing their families over trying to uh, to treat their mental health, especially if they're not being properly, especially if they aren't given options in this country that that are that are effective or that don't have terrible side effects. This is what it takes for people to make to affect change in society. It takes a bunch of people saying it's enough's enough. What's what's happened up until now? People are in pain. People are. People have mental health crises. They're not able to get through their day, their week. Like we need to change, change the rules, change the laws, and educate folks. Yep. Because here's the sad truth: there are many people, more so men, but who get on antidepressants. They don't work. They lose their libido, so then they get more depressed. That happens to women as well, and it's just this cycle where they try another i mean i've tried six or seven over the course of my life no but you make some fascinating points it's really it's it's i'm thrilled to be able to talk to somebody like you who has just personal experience just with mental health and um and just failure of the system yeah hence the title of my podcast neurons to nirvana yeah like you know we we need to look outside the box on how better ways to address these things Tell me, how did you finally decide to get back into doing it as a full-time career? Or uh, I know you've got, you're still an entrepreneur, but it's your passion and joy. And I mean, let's, let's be honest. You, you performed at Madison Square Garden. Help me out. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall, PBS, you know, Jacob Javits Center, Master Theater. I mean, the list is pretty long, but I've done a bunch of festivals. It's been a pretty cool journey, and not every journey. It doesn't mean that every event that I play is is at Madison Square Garden. I'm not uh, Billy Joel, but I've been privileged to to do some some pretty uh, larger than life performances, and in in turn, like by extension, help raise funds for some really important organizations, not for profits, and see the world. Yeah, see the world. Yeah, it's. But it's been. I hope to see even more of it. It's really been an honor, and it's it's an an experience that I don't take for granted. And I hope to have more of it. And I hope that in the process of having more of it, I can maybe you know affect change in a positive manner. You know, maybe uh, partner with some not for profits looking to looking to really just affect change in in a meaningful way and in a real way, not in a hey let's just make a lot of money way. There's a lot of fake not for profits out there, unfortunately. Yeah, that's where things get skewed and go the wrong way. Yeah, and the government allows that to happen, unfortunately. But there's also a lot of people, a lot of folks and organizations that do want to affect change and, and make the world a better place. And I, I wanna I wanna be a part of that journey for any organization that might fit fit the bill for for the message that I'm trying to relay through the, the lens of my music. I try to deliver as as much of that positive message through every every original single release that I can, but it's not always so easy, you know, because the music has to resonate with the listener. Um, and that's, I guess, why I, I make a variety of music. I try to cross genres because I try to touch as many folks as possible from different walks of life, different religions, cultural backgrounds, political viewpoints. And maybe that's one of the reasons why not all my music or a lot of my music is just instrumental.
let's talk about that. So now you're playing at least primarily the electric violin, correct? But you're you're going you're crossing transcending across all genres, uh, and you you're doing break dancing too, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so that sort of what inspired that was getting out of a wheelchair. That was like a message to the world that I don't really care what people think. <laughs> I don't really care that conventional performance for a violinist is maybe you know being a front man is standing in front of an orchestra. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to push those boundaries. And frankly, I, I think that there's a, 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 a tremendous value in blending genres. Like, you know, dancing is popular. Breakdancing is popular. Violin is, is becoming much more popular again. Um, but EDM, electronic. Yeah, EDM is very popular. But blending the two concepts is it's kind of a new thing. And I think there's a beauty to that. Uh, I don't I don't dance at every performance by any means uh, when it's appropriate, like when it's like high energy, kind of big stage type stuff. And yeah, I find that my message gets across more effectively. You know, I'm competing with TikTok and people hold, holding their cell phones and getting messages from their friends. Me too. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, that's why I was, I was thrilled and excited and wanted to have you come on because I love all types and genres of music uh, across the board. And I'm really glad that you got back into your music career because you are exposing people from different walks of life to something new and then also bringing some old, for instance, classical, you know, you're, expo- you're, you're, it's a fusion, right? I mean, I'm exactly, I your behavior, but that's my take on it. <laughs> No, you can. You pretty much hit the nail. I'm classically trained, so I've been, you know, started out with Mozart, Bach, that kind of stuff. And you know, it's it's hard to compete with the big money, which <clears throat> which is pushing the top forties. But I think there's, you know, there there's a need and there's a desire for something other than just the top forties. And people like listening to a blend, and you know, people that 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 might enjoy Drake or Dua Lipa yeah. can also kind of connect with an instrument that somewhat brings in that, that style of music. And uh, honestly, that's, that's, I think the best way to, to make the, the violin more accessible to the masses, you know, Absolutely. otherwise people aren't going to, a lot of people don't, they don't want to sit down and, and listen to Itzhak Perlman uh, as much of a genius as he is. It's not, he's not necessarily consumable, not necessarily uh, something that people, people can relate to or have the patience for, but they might have the patience for like a blend between the two. Yep, that's exactly right. I saw somewhere Matis Yahoo. Matis Yahoo, did you? What's the story? Yeah, Matis Yahoo was another guy. I had the I, well, that was actually at Madison Square Garden. We both had our separate performances. He came on after me, actually. But okay. um, I had uh, that was pretty cool. He actually came up to me. We were at the buffet backstage, and he's like, "Bro, what a sweet guy!" He, he comes up to me. He's like, "Oh, I, I was like, oh, nice to meet you." He's like, "Oh, you know, you played." good violin uh maybe you'd be interested in playing with my band like going on tour and that was right that was like the week that he was playing at the on the tonight show and i was like yeah hell yeah let me know so he turns to his <clears throat> to his manager it was a dubstep i'm trying to remember the name of the label at the time before he got signed to sony and there's like <clears throat> he's like you know uh, how about a violinist and he's like no we, we don't have the budget i'm like really you had to ruin it like literally he's the front man he's interested and but but I remember seeing uh, later on uh, one of the uh, one of these YouTube videos popped up or something like that social media, 
And I saw he brought out a violinist just from the crowd to, to, to jam with him. So I guess there was some context there was where he was interested. But yeah, anyway, it is what it is. DM him, dude. Reach out to yeah, him. Honestly, I'm really happy just doing my own thing. Uh, I don't need to be I don't need to be some guy's sideman. I don't mind on occasion, unless it's the king of Morocco. What about Griffin? Griffin, Griffin's pretty cool. He's a real, he's a real sweet guy. Really nice. Yeah, we we did a, a show together in New York. That's that's on my reels on my YouTube channel. Yep, that was a great memory, and I'm glad it was captured. I, I kind of, I, it's funny because he he had just gone on tour. Well, he's always on tour. He's like nonstop on tour. But he just opened up for Kygo that time, and and then um, after that, yeah, I actually got a call to to like play in a string section with Kygo at at a festival. And it was on. A, it was a pretty important family event. Wasn't interested in getting a divorce at the time, so I, I, uh, I said no. But I just love how like these big opportunities come when you're least interested in them. What about Anna Camp? Oh, Anna Camp. Yeah, I mean, I go down a whole list of like different people that I've met over the years. Um, yeah, from Pitch Perfect, she was she was really nice. Just have like a photo of us, and um, I was playing for National Geographic. I believe it was National. Wait, National Geographic, or was it National? I think it was National Geographic, actually, Midtown. It was like an event for them. And yeah, I guess she was one of those. She was like one of the, I mean, this was a couple of years ago. So yeah, I don't know. We were just smoothing, hanging out. I got to, had to, I got to play for her. So it was, it was a real honor. Ron Livingston. I mean, everybody loves Office Space. Oh, that's funny. I haven't even thought about these <laughs> things in a while. Yeah, we'll leave it away for a deep dive research. Oh, that's funny. I, I haven't looked back on my history page. It's been, it's been years, but I haven't even updated frankly, but maybe I should start doing that because there's a bunch of recent people I've, I've been able to meet. It's been a cool journey. But yeah, you should, man, because uh, me, the reason why I'm bringing some of these people, leaders, but also musicians up because I want people to realize so they'll listen to your music from you've just released what five singles this year i think we're going on six now and then i'm doing a collab so that might be seven within another two weeks or so which i'm pretty excited about actually it's a really a really good uh, vocalist signed to the orchard label oh nice are you allowed to share at this point i, I am i'm allowed because i have 50 percent ownership in the song um and i produced it but I I don't think it would be sensible to do it until it's actually published. Because honestly, I, I've I've made this mistake in the past, and like I was gonna, I was about to collaborate with one of Prince's uh, lead musicians, and and he, we were literally about to record the song together, and the song was produced, and I just, and then it just it fell through. Was it his bassist? Who was it? Well, now if I mention the instrument, you're gonna look him up, and you're gonna know what I'm talking about. I guess it doesn't matter. People don't people don't really care, but it's it was one of his. You can't. <laughs> it's his his guitarist. Well, there we go. Cat's out of the bag. But um, hopefully, we'll have another opportunity where you know things will work out. I'll shoot another single's way, and we'll do a collaboration. That being said, so let's talk about you've done some composing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, so Atlantis is my most recent original single. That's something I'm really excited about because it's you know I, I actually did a little bit of fundraising through my fans to kind of get it get it some streams got some some investors in that song i listened to it a couple times i dig it man it's good oh thank you i appreciate it yeah it's it's um you know it's it's sophisticated but i think it's got a melodic edge that that's that isn't too it, it isn't it's not like a snobby kind of piece it it's uh, it's 
something that's fun and and but also it's meaningful it's deep it's a bit morbid at the beginning but it kind of rises to a hopeful climax and really represents the the kind of the unpredictable cycle of life message behind it and people can sort of interpret it and project whatever you know they want from the song because it doesn't have vocals because it doesn't have lyrics but it sort of sends the message that when things are kind of look dark and depressing and seems like there's no end the tunnel and uh, don't don't get overly depressed because there, there will be opportunities to kind of reinvent yourself or maybe achieve a new climax and when things are exceptionally exciting and over the top amazing don't get overly excited by that either, because there will be um, sad moments uh, inevitably also, as, as is the cycle of life. So I don't know if I articulated that quite the way I, I, I intended, but that's sort of the general message. You did well. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, life ebbs and flows, and unfortunately, yeah. we're all going to have to yeah. deal with losing loved ones, and we're all going to pass away at some point and leave the planet. Ride the wave and enjoy it. That's why... If you have something that you are passionate about, don't suppress it and settle just because you feel like it's safe. I mean, don't go broke where you're going to wind up homeless on the street. But if you know, find something that you're passionate about, take a swing at it. You have nothing to lose as long as you have a support system and you can support yourself and or your loved ones and go for it, man. Amen to that. What advice can you give to aspiring musicians and or entrepreneurs out there in the world? I can pretty much echo what you said that, you know, just don't give up on your dreams, especially if you if they are within reasonable reach uh, and you're seeing kind of evidence that you could that, you know, maybe with some effort, you, you can achieve them. Don't necessarily feel like, OK, what the norm is for my career or for my or for the way that I can live my life is is the only is pretty much my cap is like the last ceiling that society has sort of created for you. Just try, you know, try to try to make the best of this short life that we that we live and start to be depressing there. But that's just how I feel at this moment. And try to impact people as best you can to try to make this world a bit bit of a better place uh, in the process. And I think that if more people in the world are doing what makes them happy, it'll have a ripple effect on society. Absolutely. We have to get through this stuff and vote and get involved in your communities about Causes that you're passionate about. That's right. I think a root of a lot of these issues is the apathy in not just American society, but around the world. We've got to stop being living in these bubbles and siloed lives and realize that if you want to make a change, then you need to actually make a change and get involved and it's true. And you also have to do your due diligence to, to research Absolutely. kind of multiple Absolutely. perspectives to really fully integrate and understand the issues. I, I sometimes I often reserve judgment. Uh, I don't always know which side to 
to take when it comes to like these political issues, because I don't frankly know where the disinformation lies. And I think it's it runs rampantly. I think that there's disinformation on both sides, That's all, on both sides, all over the place. I don't I honestly know who to trust. And it's sad because it's very intentional. It's funny. You know, I'm, I'm sort of dependent on social media for, you know, just for my my branding. And and I, I understand why so many people feel that it's toxic. And I think that a lot of the folks that are it's a double-edged sword is my yeah. point. There are benefits and there are pros and cons to it. And I think that that podcasts are, um, since I just discovered podcasts, I think it's really a beautiful thing, a beautiful addition to society, just letting people get to know. Express you know, the speech. I mean, it's the last frontier, man. It's my opinion. Yeah, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. It just allows more context and and depth to people that social media does not allow for. This has been a wonderful conversation, and it's in line with what I talk about all the time on this podcast. I've just really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm certain that you probably haven't had been on a podcast like this. <laughs> I've done a lot of I've done a lot of interviews, and and this has been this has been awesome, and and this has been very different from a lot of the other interviews that I've done. So. So thanks for that. Absolutely. And my, my parting gift, at least for now, uh, I'll send you something that I send all my guests. It'll be a surprise. Look Michael Pollan up and check out his book. And bare minimum, promise me you will watch his documentary on Netflix. Michael Pollan what? Michael Pollan. P-O-L-L-A-N. Pollan. P-O-L-L-A-N. Okay, because I was thinking E-N as in... The flower. Yeah, he's written a book called How to, to Change Your Mind with the New Science of Psychedelics. Teach us about consciousness, dying, addiction, depression, depression, and transcendence. It's fascinating. Regardless of what your beliefs are, we would just listen to one another and see different points of view. I don't think we'd be in the same position we're in right now. It's my opinion. I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I said before that people are pitted against each other on purpose by the systems around us that benefit from that tension. I will take the opportunity for the, your fans and listeners. Maybe somebody will be educated <laughs> and like look at things a little bit differently. That's all. Hopefully. Not trying I just to try, I just try to not offend my fans. I have to be like really careful about what I post. And I post com comedic musical stuff and people get offended yep. by like the most benign, like a cute puppy. Like uh, you'd be amazed, but. Well, I will, I will fall on the sword for you. So anybody, any of your fans listening, it's on me. How's that? <laughs> I got thick skin. I'm all right. Once again, I can't thank you enough, and I really appreciate it. It's been fun, man. Likewise. Thanks a lot. Thanks again, Asher, for joining me on this week's episode. Please check out Asher's content on social media, listen to his catalog of his original music on all major platforms, and watch his performances on the YouTube channel, Asher Love. I am always grateful to share these wonderful guests and experiences with you. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I'm Tom Hartridge, and this is Neurons to Nirvana. Nirvana.